Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today I'm with Jennifer Dunks, the Global Head of Mobility at Inno Energy, which we will talk more about later. You've previously been in the automotive industry for 20 years, Ford, BMW, Porsche, You are also director at the Fraunhofer Institute and in charge of mobility and smart cities there. There's a lot that already has happened. You've published uh, on the space. You've been a speaker uh, on the space, DLD, other conferences. Currently a very active investor. I was reading something like... Thank you so much, Gunnar. Very happy to be here and also talk with you today on the topics. Can you, first of all... For everyone who doesn't know, give a bit background of EIT Inno Energy. Who's this player? Because you don't have the very classic setup, let's say, like, oh, this is the corporate venture arm of XYZ. This is a private VC. This is a much broader approach that your organization is taking to driving innovation in Europe somehow. And there are a number of companies and then also the European Union behind it. How does that work, that whole construct? And what's your work in that? Yeah, no, great question. That's a question I get fairly often is, uh, what is EIT Inno Energy? So happy to use this, this forum here to give some context. So it started about 10 years ago and did start with funding from the EIT. And today where we're at now is we are one of the largest strategic investors in climate tech in the world. What we focus on is really how accelerate and really scale um, innovations that can create a meaningful impact on sustainability or CO2. And the way that we do that is we, of course, invest in different verticals and mobility is one of them. However, we recognize that You know, energy and mobility are are all coming together and will have a lot more synergies in the future than what we have today. And so we really see the importance of not just investing in verticals, but really creating the industrial value chain around these topics. And maybe one of the most easiest examples to, to share with you is we were one of the first investors in Northfold, which is doing mm -hmm. the green, green batteries up in Sweden. And at that time, This was actually pretty revolutionary because the automotive industry had already sort of made a decision not to go in this direction of doing it locally in Europe. But what we recognized was to just do that step with Northfold isn't really enough. We need to really create the value chain in and around upstream and downstream to support the acceleration again and, and impact that this company can have. And What we've done now on several different topics have we've created these European initiatives. So the European Battery Alliance or the European Solar Initiative and also one on hydrogen. And what that allows us to do is kind of bring all the different players to the table, all the different stakeholders, and put a little bit of skin in the game. Yeah, so that we can say, hey, we know we all want to do this, but let's not hand it from one step to the next step and have all the risk at the front, you know, mm -hmm. but say, let's have the off takers already here and, and create that now. And to be honest with you, one thing that kind of keeps me up at night is 
whether we should be doing something similar in this micromobility space or in this short distance mobility space. You know, we have all these different players. And I saw your recent article that you wrote on shared mobility, but we have shared mobility. We have the micromobility players. We have the logistics. And we also need the charging infrastructure. And I think you're aware of one of our recent investments in Swabi. <laughs> but how can we bring all these players together, you know, the off-takers, the startups, the investors, and the value chain around here to, to bring this ecosystem where we want to see it? So let me try to rephrase in my own words. The, your organization that you are representing the mobility investments of basically is driving, I think, some of the policy goals of the European Union through... Well, I think different formats. On the one hand, also like training programs or a content platform, but then also an invest investment arm. Yeah, and exactly. with money, I, I believe from some of the large European companies, maybe Volkswagen, mm -hmm. Siemens, I, I think French companies, yeah. and then also from from the European Union. And you've, you're making sizable investments in these topics. You mentioned one of the largest climate tech investors globally mm -hmm. now. Can you give some numbers for context, like order of magnitude, sure. how much is, is getting invested? Yeah, sure. So, so far today, we've invested over 550 million. Today, we have about 250 companies in our portfolio. And altogether, the ones that who maybe we've already exited or whatever, in total, it was maybe about 380 hmm. in total over those last years. And I think you you hit on a good point. So looking at the EU agenda and also the national agendas, that's also part of our scope to see where we can start discussions about what kind of impact these new innovations can create. And at the same time, who else needs to be at this table, right, to, to what I would say, level the playing field? And I, I think you've talked about this as well, but sometimes it's an uneven playing field in Europe, right? So if you look at kind of the VCs and the valuations in the U.S., especially in the mobility space, we sometimes don't see that same trend happening in Europe, I would argue. At the same time, if you look at production costs, like in Asia, again, compared to Europe, we sometimes can see an uneven playing field. And that's why it's important then, not just from a regulatory or policy, but also all the partners or players in that value chain to say, how can we level this playing field? Because at least for mobility, Gunner, what's important to us is not that we're just using these solutions. So it's not important that we just use a e-scooter because it reduces local emissions or creates more space. But what I'm passionate about and, I, and, and our company's passionate about is also creating jobs, you know, and taking more of that pie around that innovation. So I think that's, that's one of the motivators there. Looking at the whole industrial value chain, not just the consumption of a new product, but also what are the Input factors, where do they get manufactured? Even maybe all the way down to battery manufacturing, which you gave us an example of, used to be mm -hmm. a topic. How long ago was this? Could have been just maybe two, three years ago. I think that, yeah, for example, yeah. Volkswagen would say, uh, some OEMs would say it's yeah. possibly a commodity. Probably we, we wouldn't invest in that. And then 
now Northfold. It uh, was in 2019, Gunnar. I remember sitting at, at a conference and the biggest dominant OEMs were on stage and they said, it's too late. Mm-hmm. It's too late. We can't catch up and it'll be a commodity, right? And that's what I think is just exhilarating right now is that we're kind of rewriting the playbook on a pretty big topic. And that I use that analogy quite often because I believe it can be the same with micromobility. What's the status quo in micromobility in your point of view? And you say that, like, I believe there could be something similar. Like, what, how do you see us kind of using and maybe producing micromobility in Europe at the moment? But how would you like that to see, to be different? You know, I'm hopeful every time I see more and more companies in Europe who are doing parts of the local production or larger or smaller parts who are also interested in in having the batteries sourced uh, locally and what comes with that then. And and I I actually published um, some numbers on this is a lot of times this actually then equals a more sustainable product because it's either more serviceable or it's more durable and increases the lifetime or it has more advanced software, which you can definitely appreciate, you know, when you have the predictive maintenance included and you have diagnostics and things like this, all of that goes toward a lower TCO and in effect, also a lower CO2 or energy consumption. So I'm hopeful what we see so far, and I think you've seen some some of the same companies as we have. We have a company from from Hamburg, Nouville. They're producing electric trailers, which are very popular in the post. We mm-hmm. we see the the cargo bikes, you know, from Berlin, and we've made some investments in that space as well. But we're still quite far away, right? I mean, if you look at the the numbers of what's being imported mm-hmm. in this space. In terms of We're hardware? In, the, in terms of hardware, mm-hmm. right? For e-bikes, scooters, whatever, mm-hmm. and the batteries. We're really not there yet. And my only point with the analogy before with the electric batteries for cars was that we could argue, and I'm sure people would, if you had another person on the podcast today who would say, it's too late to compete with that market. They They already have the market. It's cheaper. It's... We won't be able to compete on cost. But I don't believe that. Mm. I think um, we can show when we stop talking about purchase price and we start talking about total cost of ownership and sustainability, I think then we can bring in a, a different a different angle. But it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. You've made a large number of investments, I think about 30 in the mobility space in Europe in the last, what, maybe two and a half years or three years. But if we're not mistaken, I think none of them were in one of the operators. It's actually different parts of the value chain. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why that happens? Why are you putting your emphasis not with the probably most known brands in the space in a way, the ones that are known to consumers? Why do you maybe deliberately yeah, go elsewhere? So uh, maybe a couple things. Um, number one is that we're an early stage. Mm-hmm. investor and most of those companies although we have also invested in growth stage and at that time we did look at some players by the time we were going through the process they were already 
consumed by another player. So Mm -hmm. it's just that the aggregation in that space has really already happened to a certain extent. And the players that, that I think you're thinking of, they're just too big. So that's number one. Number two kind of goes back to the point we were just discussing about is that we're looking for companies who want to create a CO2 or, you know, sustainability impact. So if you come to us and say, hey, we're buying these products from another market, we just throw them on the road. We don't care if they break down or if they're vandalized or it's not pretty much the right fit for us. Maybe a caveat on that statement. I know that this topic is becoming more in scope for the main players, so I don't discount that at all. But just as in the early days as they've been accelerating, that may not have been as high of a priority as we we would want to see. Maybe going back to our beginning, we said, well, the aim of EIT Energy is to uh, drive some European policy goals, also by way of connecting people, making investments, and so on, maybe showing what's possible or that was already discounted. And when we zoom into shared mobility, especially, and uh, micromobility, I think is kind of the yeah, most interesting maybe topic within that, the new types of vehicles, shared light electric vehicles. What challenges do you see in that space the most at the moment? You already alluded to, like, what's the awareness of sustainability? Where do parts come from? What do you think are the biggest challenges there? Is it just in the choice of hardware and the sustainability of those supply chains? Or maybe even question marks around yeah, adoption? Will, I mean, what are, where are we at today in terms of total trips in a city? Low mm-hmm. single-digit percentage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. already significant resistance and so on. Maybe mm-hmm. it's even a question mark at all where the space would be in five years. Is that mm-hmm. kind of, in your grand scheme of things, an important element, these kind of vehicles and services? And if yes, what challenges do you think today are mostly facing yeah. now? So actually, just to to maybe step back one foot. Mm-hmm. So in this last two and a half years, in the first part of this time of building this portfolio, we set out a strategy. And it was really about a year later that COVID hit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything that you had planned for where you think everything should be invested kind of changed a little bit. And the two trends that really stuck out during this time was, number one, a switch to hyper-local mobility, Mm-hmm. Because many of us were working from home and, and moving shorter distances around our homes. And number two was an extreme uptake in e-commerce, including food delivery and restaurant delivery, even in sectors where traditionally you hadn't seen that activity. I give the example of my mom, right, who's 78 <laughs> and now knows how to order pizza online, knows how to do groceries. So this is this is just something that would not have been there without the pandemic. And because of that, we really focused hard on on those sectors because we saw a lot of things were happening, number one being mobility behavior. And if you ever sit and have a beer with me, I think that's one of the hardest things to change with people is the mobility behavior. It is hard to get people out of the car or out of their routine, let's say. And what we saw in COVID was really an openness to 
changed their behavior. At the same time, we had two different tailwinds, in my opinion. So one was we saw cities repurposing their streets. We saw new commitments in the cities toward an infrastructure for bikes and people. And these were popping up on a really a, you know, every week or every few weeks, I could hardly keep up with it, to be honest, as I was taking in, okay, what new announcement was coming from the city? I come from a car city, actually sitting in Stuttgart. Mm -hmm. Every time I went into the city, there was a new road that was for bikes or pedestrians or a new part of the city that was closed off to cars. And that's quite surprising coming from a very car-oriented city. Mm -hmm. So that was another kind of tailwind, what the cities were doing to respond to the people in this time. Mm -hmm. The last tailwind that we see is more on a regulatory level where we see bans going against cars or de large delivery trucks or at different times. And so for me, all the different pieces are now coming together. If you ask me what still is the biggest challenge, I still think the infrastructure is one of my top three. Hmm. Because once you build a bike lane, you start to see people use it. Without that bike lane there, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why you can't get the uptake or the utilization, but safety is also one of them, right? So I maybe like the the Roman saying, you know, but if you build this, I think they will come. It's not to say that that the solutions are perfect. And I think, again, when I was looking at something you recently published, I thought it was also quite interesting about the the integration of the new business models, you know, being able to have longer subscriptions, you know, maybe you have a month month subscription for a vehicle, maybe it stays with you, that exact vehicle, and all that kind of flexibility in the, the business models, I think, also needs to be there. But I think that's that's in progress. I don't see it as a as a, a large risk. I think one other point though um, that we would need to increase utilization is additional form factors. Mm -hmm. Why so, do you think that? Because I'm, I'm maybe you know, I'm, I'm a mother, um, I'm a woman, um, and maybe there's, there's different use cases that I think it, it, it depends on our demographics. I'm also not a young college student anymore, so I have, I have different needs. I have different uses of when I go out, and to be honest, the, the kickboard scooter is a little bit limiting for, for hitting many of my use cases. So I think getting to see more, and I think you mentioned actually Avocargo, that's one of our investments. And you mm -hmm. mentioned that actually in one of your recent publications. But, you know, the ability to carry stuff for me is is quite important. So I think we need to think a little bit wider also on those use cases uh, that we can also hit more demographics. For sure, I think so too, yeah. I can even tell you one one recent story. I was recently in upstate New York and we had some e-bikes there and we were kind of talking to the, the community about it. And there were people that were younger than me and not really comfortable to use an e-bike. And I think, you know, we need to bring some training into this for some of these form factors that people haven't used maybe at all but also provide some that, yeah, 
somehow are more comfortable to to the different groups of people that we're trying to serve. So you think basically there are these major trends accelerated through Corona, hyperlocal mobility is more important. Everybody's now buying online, maybe even sometimes flash delivery. And then mm -hmm. some tailwinds like cities more open to repurposing some infrastructure or regulation coming in more forcefully, maybe even bans of certain vehicles in certain areas. And then what's still maybe holding us back or to be solved infrastructure, business models, also form factors. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You said on the business models, maybe it's going to come about already. And I think we also see that with our many of our clients, how you used to have this clear separation between you either go for a minute-based um, vehicle, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. free-floating sharing, you go for mm -hmm. a daily maybe car rental there, or you go to a dealership for leasing, and it's really all yeah. becoming a mesh. So it's digitized, mm -hmm. but all maybe even from the same company and with total flexibility. And yeah, yeah on the on the form factor, it's definitely also the case. I mean, it's the original form factor of a kick scooter is kind of ridiculous for most use cases in a way. <laughs> uh, if you have certain city environments or if you have certain distance or something to carry in and, and all that, it's definitely yeah only for a few of these factors. And or if you're going on cobblestone or on yeah, any, exactly. I mean, that's the case I here think for my us, teeth but... almost fell out last time <laughs> I was riding one. I was, I was, they're so fast now. And I was on one of these, you know, kind of bumpy roads. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to have any teeth left after I, um, you know, so, I mean, there's just different modes that could be more comfortable. And I, I do come back to that. I think mobility, we want it to be comfortable. Yeah. However we travel and, This is all part of it. That's what I would like to also be getting at because if we try to, like we have certain goals in mind that ideally people should use maybe an appropriate vehicle or should be shared. They would be electric, not C2 and stuff, but consumers are making those choices. So like regulation <laughs> will only go so far, like companies launching, but whatever actually people like and, and what's driving that. And basically you said comfortable, it's like a key word maybe, but also safety before. So mm -hmm. like, what do we want out of a vehicle basically to like show up whenever we need it and mm -hmm. then not have to worry about it. We don't want to rent a garage for it or make appointments for it at the repair shop and for that vehicle to be, yeah, sometimes be a bike and sometimes a cargo yeah. bike and yeah. other times yeah. maybe a, a larger van. So this kind of flexibility with like not a lot of mind share going into it, but Easy, exactly. Um, accessible to different modes that are kind of actually provided as a service. But even that comes with like a mental load. Like I've been yes. kind of, I'm trying to live through this, like in my own yes. experience and everything. So last summer I got rid of my kind of car that I always have like as a backup and I've been using just all when, when the weather permits, you know, two wheeler sharing, otherwise car mm -hmm. sharing. But multiple times a day, you're like, oh, wait, how am I going to get here you now? Let's check. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's over there. So, and yeah, oh no, yeah. now nothing is closed. So, Like your day is just a little bit more stressful because of it. And even that is too much if you are a Western European person. It sounds yeah. like a lot to complain about, but that is not convenient. In the end, it's more convenient again to have your dedicated parking spot, to have your car keys. So yeah. um, we're definitely still not there yet. I think we're, it's like a fringe sort of yeah, movement with some people who are really explorative or certain, just certain dem demographics, but not for most people at the moment. Yeah, I mean, if it's okay for you, maybe I could just share my my analogy that I always have in my head of how I would envision this to work. Yes, and 
the the way I think about it is like water out of a tank. Okay. Where when you need it and how you need it. So you need it just a light little a bit of water or you need a lot of water and you need it hot or you need it cold, but you never think about it. You just walk there or you you go there and you turn on the tap and it's how you need it, when you need it, you know, exactly what you want with no mental load of what you said, right? And of course, that's maybe quite, um, yeah, ambitious or uh, to think about, but in the end, that's how I would love that we just, you walk out of your office today, I walk out of my home office, and we just move. Without yeah, even whatever, an app, so, maybe, or a we device. We didn't have routine, to right? think about it. Yeah, we just, we, I need, next um, up is I need to pick up three kids from cheerleading, okay? Mm-hmm. So I need something that transports that. Later, you know, I need to do X or Y, and and then I can take a different mode. But you somehow it's it's available when you need it and how you need it and i think yeah it's it's maybe far off for us today but essentially removing that mental load like you said it has to be part of it because that's what we're competing against with the car in the in the parking spot right yeah it's worried yeah, yeah. and it's definitely moving in this direction relatively quickly like if we zoom five or ten years back then it is not like within months but more more within years in terms of what's available now in many Mm -hmm. cities if you talk a little bit about the kind of european us asian um, interactions let's say and also uh, what europe is consuming versus producing ourselves and where does innovation really come from and so on do you have with your work identified some areas where you are especially maybe hopeful or that you see leading innovation currently coming from Europe? What are these areas within mobility where you see some mm-hmm. examples of companies and are there clusters really emerging or is that I mean, hard for to me, generalize? Yeah, I think, I think the short answer here would be obviously batteries. So we are building this entire green battery production and the value chain. I mean, I, at Inno Energy, we're also quite active in mining projects. And maybe I don't have the exact number perfectly, but I last time I heard it was about seven different massive mining projects around Europe for mining the raw materials. So really the entire value chain around green batteries are going in that, you know, locally produced and, and green as, as the goal. What I think it's important is that we we have some security that a section of those batteries can be used for this segment of mobility. For me, it would be quite a shame if all cars were somehow sourced with those batteries, and yet we left this entire short-distance mobility and all those vehicles out of scope, and we were still reliant on you know, Asia or elsewhere to get the batteries. So batteries for me is one place where I expect Europe to also step up for this segment and provide. The other one for me is vehicles. What so uh, what has to come yeah. what has to come together maybe on the batteries when you talk about micromobility, where do components come from there? What would have to come together probably maybe how did that go in the case of Northvolt and the car battery discussion. 
what triggers it, who has to come together for eventually mm -hmm. kind of an ecosystem of these components to emerge? I think it could be two different ways. One would be that we use the existing companies that are being established, like Northvolt or Faircore mm -hmm. in France or 11ES in, in Eastern Europe. We use those companies and have some portion of their production, which can then be dedicated to other segments. Right now, the tricky part is, is that there's just too much demand, right, from, from cars. So the priority that we get then on the micromobility side is lower. Yeah, it's a different priced product at the end. Somehow, we need to find a way to also level this playing field in Europe that we can start this ramp up, at least, of those products from, from the existing battery producers in Europe. Maybe not directly now, but in the near term. Otherwise, yeah, we can explore, you know, setting up purely dedicated battery facilities for this purpose. But I, I think there's a lot of synergies in, in doing it together at the Northvolt type production facilities anyway. I mean, the packaging, of course, is different, but some of the things more upstream could, could share some, some synergies. But it's hard to get the priority, right? Because the cars today have the priority. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like also yeah, regulations playing a huge part in the hardware for shared mobility because we see in our own uh, dealings, let's say, how those um, import duties are very different very, on different types of vehicles and mopeds we bring in from China at a very different rate from e-bikes, for example. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. very um, mm -hmm. it's very much um, driving also where they get at least assembled, if not produced entirely. Do you think that's also a fair and useful tool that companies should maybe even try to influence? Or that's something that's kind of driven by other factors and we better try to anticipate which way it goes, but otherwise stay away from? Mm, you know, I'm not a big fan, let's say, of just making mandates, you know, and saying, okay, this amount of products need to come from here or whatever the, the topic may be. I, I think it's, I'd rather come from the angle of the product itself, right? And again, looking at so in, in terms of the production, I mean, looking at the production in terms of what's the production cost, what's the, the impact on CO2 from production and the energy demand. And already you can see that the what's happened also during the pandemic, but there was a ripple when during the pandemic with getting access to the supply chain when your supply chain is not not local meaning maybe like in Europe right so yeah. i think the company it should really come i think from intelligent design and i i believe though in a certain amount of local parts local production can also make the right decision for you in your books at the end of the day yeah in terms of costs in terms of security for securing the parts that, that you need in terms of autonomy, et cetera. So 
I just think that we need to, like I say, make the le- like make the playing field a little bit level. So, for example, I give you one example. We have a lot of subsidies on the batteries for electric cars, also on electric cars. Let's make sure all these subsidies and incentives get applied across the board to all these other form factors. Let's make sure when you're looking to do local production that you have the same access to, you know, incentives or subsidies as they do for making cars or those types of vehicles. And I think when we can start to make that a little bit easier, I think we'll see maybe an advantage of producing here. But we we have to make that playing field a little bit more level. And then at the other side, if you make a, a product that is more sustainable or is more durable, I mean, you can access how to change one part and it's quite quick and anybody can do it, or and you have the, the software on it, like we talked about earlier, then the off-takers will take that product and it will be a better price for them. But it's it's somehow all those pieces need to come together. Yeah, that's definitely a very interesting aspect how there are significant subsidies on the on electric cars, for example, now, but it's more, well, I guess some countries in, in Europe have it, but then in others, it's up to cities if there are, if, yeah, if there is anything yeah, for yeah. these, what you say, other form factors, electric bikes, cargo bikes and so yeah. on. Sometimes you, it you exists know, and runs out again and so on, but it's definitely on a different scale, yeah. Yeah, and you know, one thing, um, I mean, I wouldn't mind getting getting your input on this, but I think part of it is the language right now. We have all these different new form factors. What are we calling them? <laughs> you know, is this micro mobility? Sometimes I even switch often. I, I call it short distance. I don't want to call it urban. I, you know, because also we have all the form factors from logistics. And if you see, even the we talked earlier about Avocargo, for example, that's one that can go into the movement of people or the movement of yes. goods, right? So what are all these vehicles? And when you have these different ownership models, it's you know, micromobility almost for me is too limiting. It doesn't bring in the logistics piece in the so. way that I would like to have it brought in. It sounds in. really micro like kick scooter, right? It sounds like kick scooter, we- right? And then we leave out, and, and I think what I've seen in the regulations is sometimes you see something for a subsidy for e-bikes or e-cargo bikes as mm-hmm. defined by X or Y, mm-hmm. and it just left out all the other form factors. What about an e-moped? Yeah, exactly. You know, um, we often use about, here mm-hmm. um, light electric vehicles and um, like um, Horace, did you? Uh, <laughs> I pronounce his last name wrongly, but Horace from Micromobility Industries, he's like doing a lot of talking and um, publishing about it and so on. He would say, I think, for example, well, if it's below 200 kilograms for a person for the vehicle, something a bit more like appropriate for a city environment. And then yeah, I think that captures more of these new vehicle types. And I think it's interesting how, on the one hand, just being able to name these and how, how do subsidies and priorities basically mm-hmm. come about? It's all an effort or the outcome of well, some lobby work initially. Somebody has to draft this, yeah. propose this and so on. Yeah. And so I, I just think those newer manufacturers, especially, of course, if they are maybe from outside of Europe, have not done this lobbying work for, for many years. And there are fewer of today's jobs tied to it. So it's not as big of a priority. Something else that I wonder about what what your opinion is, because you said before, it's very hard to change behavior. So we have these 
megatrends, but to the extent they will come about depends also on people's openness to change behavior. And in some other segments, we are trying to do that with basically information. Uh, for example, if you say apartments, houses have an energy passport and you can see A, B, C, D, F, kind of how efficient is this apartment that I'm renting? What will I spend mm -hmm. on energy? Or mm -hmm. you go food, you have like labels for maybe or sustainable farming to identify your food. And consumers in many cases are willing to pay some premium if they have certain quality or sustainability aspects tied to a product. But will that ever make its way into mobility services even, for example, that you would say, like, this is branded in a way, or I can even see it, and it's maybe mandatory to put in the app or on the vehicle, what that consumption is, or where these parts come from, or, mm -hmm. because right now, it's like all the same, people don't, like, whatever is mm -hmm. closest to me, all these vehicles, mm -hmm. like, what's the rate per minute, and what is closest to mm -hmm. me, I have no clue mm -hmm. as a consumer, if any of the operators did maybe invest more in a better supply mm -hmm. chain. No, I think that's a good point, and in, in this segment, I'm going to start calling it light electric vehicles now. I think there's not really brand differentiation like you see with the, the passenger cars, right? And mm. the branding in those segments. But to your question of whether, you know, if a, a sticker or something was on one of these vehicles that said it was made with recycled aluminum, which can actually create a nice change in CO2 and consumption and energy consumption. Would it matter? I don't think it would matter, at least right now. But what I could imagine is, you know, these vehicles, in my opinion, are or can be fun. Um, they can, you know, you're you're outside. You you if it's a if it's a comfortable vehicle and it's fun to ride. I think they can also create more of a a feeling around around these products. And for example, I think what could be helpful or influential is if the brand itself said, and we've already seen this, but you know, if you ride so many times and you can get a couple more rides free, or after us as a company reach this many rides, we would plant so many trees or, or do something like this. These are things that I think could resonate more with the end customer rather than a sticker on a portion of the vehicle that said this was made with recycled parts. But but having that feeling that you're connected to something larger, you know, so what's this company really standing for? And, and what then do I stand for when I ride their product? And I think there we might be able to leverage something because... This is something that I think people are more genuinely um, connected to. I mean, you have this long history in the automotive industry. And I think I mentioned in the beginning, you spent years at BMW and then Porsche uh, recently. And so I guess this is ultimate kind of branding machines also in a way, and then mm -hmm. identity giving to whoever is using them. And that's, um, I, I think it's not the case for these services yet. And I, uh, it's, it's hard it's for not, me to know what but, each one stands for or like, what does it mean if I arrive there on a VOI versus on a tier? I don't know what the hell, like what's the different world, whatever was closest to me, I guess. I think you're right right now. Although do the brands like Van Moof or Dance, do they create any emotion in you? I would say they might, right? Or like well, not for you. They're definitely going there. They, 
they're they are going, going there, there. They're right? definitely trying that. They, they invest in design and they are making this effort to try and have a branded experience. And yeah. I think there or might the be different. Super 73, you know, it's another one. Yes. Yeah. And the Van Mof, I guess, is like an uh, kind of bit more high-end e-bike that you would buy. And Dance is like e-bike subscription service. So these are also a bit like bigger commitments when it comes to the like maybe free-floating, minute-based kind of small purchases. Proximity seems to like top everything. <laughs> Nobody maybe more yeah. walks extra for the better brand, but I'm not sure. I mean, eventually the density will increase and you will have exactly. in many places multiple options right there in front of you. So branding will then make the win the day in a way. But I think if I come back to to your point, though, you know, if we mention Uber, mm-hmm. now, you know, they're all over the spectrum, you know, right? With with also e-bikes and, and yeah, car sharing and, and all these topics. Yet, I'm not sure they, you know, brought that branding all the way through where they they could have, right? So even at the um, personal micromobility level, right? Maybe there's still a possibility for them to create more of a image and brand, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So it's 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 not just the maybe the space or the positioned in the market, like in terms of are they doing kickboard scooters that are rented for per minute, or are they doing this segment? Like you said, the the dance and the Van Moof are longer time periods and maybe they have a different possibility to create impact because we see companies that are also in those spaces that aren't really creating a emotion necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting trying to like tie these different ideas together. I was uh, I meant to ask towards the end more about your longer term view for shared mobility, what it would look like. And you already basically alluded to this in our conversation about how rich of a choice people would have, how easy to access and mm-hmm. probably, I guess, in your point of view, also some branded experiences, also some maybe customer loyalties and therefore maybe even profitability <laughs> for operators yeah, built course. into it. Should be. <laughs> What's yeah. there that most people maybe don't expect at the moment? What do you think is something that will be an important like investment area or a good thing to maybe even launch a startup in now if, if people are thinking, about just getting started now that mm-hmm. um, it's underserved at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe just coming from the profitability standpoint, since you mentioned it, still today, I think there's opportunities within this bucket of operations. Mm-hmm. So I think we've seen companies in those spaces trying to position themselves and trying to reduce operational costs for those Mm -hmm. fleet management companies. But I think that's still a spot where we can create more innovation. And I think, for example, the the charging and and how this is set up and, you know, removable, exchangeable batteries and things like this, all of this shall play into this bucket. But I still see this as a, a lever that we can, yeah that we can raise to to try and make this more successful. On the other side, I would say, and again, maybe for lack of a better word, but along the lines of these mobility hubs, right? So really 
places where we can leverage the synergies between the movement of people and goods. Mm -hmm. So we can leverage the synergies on service, on operations, on charging, on in, in on utilization, right? So um, when there's an opportunity to to use vehicles then for more movement of goods and less movement of people because it's raining and now everybody wants to sit at home and order their pizza and nobody wants to go out, then we should have the flexibility within this pool to dial up and dial down, but to keep the utilization high for all the vehicles and everything in that ecosystem, right? The charging and, and everything else. So I see those mobility hub players as a central part to helping make this work even more efficiently than it is today. Interesting. That's an area where you think there's still a lot of efficiency to gain and that, yeah, people should probably invest in more kind of the fulfillment providers. If you use like e-commerce uh, lingo, mm -hmm. uh, like mm -hmm. Amazon fulfillment mm -hmm. also to mm -hmm. um, yeah, run certain hubs, maybe at an efficiency that yeah, maybe individual operators in the geography don't reach. And there yeah. are some players like that already, but how do you think they would mainly have to change or what's like, who, who are their role models? Maybe what are the main opportunities? Yeah. I, I think maybe just making sure you have a focus on a broad scope. So not just the movement of people. Mm-hmm just kickboard scooters or something like this, but the movement of people, the movement of goods and like throw in some Amazon lockers, right? Throw in service, throw in maybe some, uh, maybe even some synergies. And I've seen this with a couple examples where there's also a synergy with passenger cars. So mm -hmm. there's also charging available at that mobility hub for passenger cars. Mm -hmm. Why not, right? So, and I think, If you think of um, line versus tier, you know, on the service side or on the charging side, this shouldn't be the piece that they need to stay separate. Yeah, maybe they can use the same back end at the mobility hubs for service, for charging, and still maintain their, their differentiation on the front end and still both have enough market share. but. That, that's just one area that I, I would say I'm watching. Mm -hmm. I, it's it's hard to know how how exactly it would develop. Awesome. Wow. Thanks a lot. That was very, very interesting. We came from an introdu introduction of what EIT IO Energy is and mm -hmm. how you are like basically trying to drive some very longer term policy goals through, amongst other things, also a series of investments. And then how you think, why you think this base of urban mobility with shared vehicles, maybe lighter electric vehicles. It's important what, what some of the roadblocks are and where there's still opportunity. It's a very mm -hmm. fast evolving space with a lot to do. And like the rate at which yeah. you guys are also investing, I'm sure you're looking at thousands of opportunities. So yeah, thanks mm -hmm. a lot for taking some time out of that day and week today to share your impressions with us. Yeah, thank you, Gunnar, for, for the discussion today. If I might just be able to say one more thing, sure, because I'm so passionate about this point as well, which is that when they came out with the new regulations for the Fit for 55, 
the more stringent regulations yeah. to um, what we need to meet. And when you look at what the requirements are for passenger car electric vehicle sales, you will see that by 2030, we have a gap in meeting that fit for 55 goal. And the gap is 165 million tons of CO2, according to McKinsey. Mm-hmm. And the significance of this is it's not about, yeah, trying to sell more electric cars, but what other things can we do in this mobility space to meet that goal? And the easy answer is to increase the uptake within light electric vehicles and micromobility and urban logistics with these new form factors. And the one study that I published on this topic, which was just looking at if 10% of the relevant trips could be done with these form factors, so the trips that are under six kilometers, only in the big cities, et cetera, what would be the potential impact? And the impact was 30 million tons. And those vehicles are already available today. Mm. It's something we can do kind of today from tomorrow, or at least one day later, maybe. But we already have something in our pocket that can create a meaningful impact at a very conservative estimate. Like I said, it was just 10%. And as you said earlier, you know, today we're under a 1%. So it is a big step change to replace those those trips with, with these form factors. But if just 10% of the relevant trips could be done in the big cities, this would create a meaningful impact CO2 goal. And I'm 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 quite passionate about that. And that's what makes me believe even more in the importance of pushing these topics. And this is what we also talk about at the EU level. Support this so that already today you can have this this change. Interesting. So Fit for 55 is the European Union's goal to reduce CO2 emissions by 55% by 2030, as a step towards full decarbonization by 2050. And you're basically saying, well, if we just kind of bet on electric cars alone, which is probably the bigger priority for anybody kind of wielding power today in a way. Like that's maybe easier to kind of think of all cars, but now all electric cars, there's still a a gap left and there could be significant potential from shifting some of the trips in cities to actually newer form factors that don't have a lobby yet or also don't have a lot of maybe understanding yet of how how they will actually end up being used. It's all very new. Exactly. Yeah, very interesting. Thank you for making that clear as well. All right. (laughs) Great. Thanks for spending the time with us today. Have have an awesome day. Talk to you soon. Yep, love to. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.